Welcome to Forever Leeds, the podcast for everyone who studied at Leeds or might fancy going. All brought to you by the University of Leeds Advancement Team. It's our summer special. Uh, end of term edition and we'll be looking at what's happening in Leeds as the academic year ends. Meeting some illustrious alumni and discovering some untold stories about the university's past. I'm Rich Williams, uh, a politics graduate from 2004 and my co-presenter is about to make you feel insanely jealous. Alba Goskova, next year's editor of The Griffin, the award-winning newspaper formerly known as Leeds Student. Alba, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm all good. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Come on then. Uh, grad ball just taken place. You were there. How was it? It's actually amazing. We had tons of fun, lots of rides, shows. Um, there was Wes Nelson, quite famous, um, rudimental. So it was fun. Yeah, we had a good time. Awesome. And um, you've got graduation coming up next month as well. Then it's done. It's done. Yeah, it's scary when you think about it, but it's also very exciting and I'm looking forward to it for sure. Next year with the Griffin, you've already started work on that because last last podcast you said that you had an induction coming up. You've now had that. Yeah, I had it yesterday and it's been a busy week for sure. <laughs> okay, what did you have to do in your induction then to, to get ready for next year? Oh, it was just a lot of um, preparation. Had to meet the uni press team and basically just go through all like the initial steps but it was also really fun okay so university about to end about to transition into uh work at the griffin but here at leeds university so you get to stay a little bit longer yeah i love it awesome we have an absolutely packed edition of forever leeds coming up for you alba what's coming up well this time we'll be meeting the british mountaineer and formerly student who has just completed a record-breaking 16th ascent of everest Kenton Cole is one of the world's leading high-altitude climbers, the first person to complete the triple crown of three peaks, including Everest, and the only Briton to ski down two 8,000-metre peaks. And he's achieved all this despite a catastrophic injury in 1996, which led doctors to tell him he'd never walk again. How did life at Leeds help him to get to the top of the world? Also, what's that narrow walkway behind a row of houses called? In Leeds, it's a ginnel, but you might call it a snicket, an entry, a cut, or an alleyway. English regional dialect is a rich and glorious thing, and since the 50s, the University of Leeds has collected and been home to the most famous archive of recorded dialects in England. A new dialect and heritage project from School of English called In Your Words is opening these recordings up to the public and we'll be finding out more about the big dialect hunt. Plus, we'll meet Amanda Blone, one of the most powerful businesswomen in Britain, and find out how Leeds helped her reach the top job at insurance giant Aviva. And we'll be soaking up some of that bittersweet end-of-term atmosphere with students who are on their way out into the world. Yeah, it's glorious sunshine as we look out the window here at Leeds Student Radio. Absolutely beautiful day. Graduation on the way as well. And lots coming up for you. So remember to follow Forever Leeds on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. You'll get every episode automatically. And do tweet us. We are at Leeds Alumni. We would love to hear what you think of the podcast. Now, he's the king of rock. There is none higher. But if you'd climbed Everest not once, but 16 times, would you describe your feet as not that amazing? 
That's what Kenton Cool says, pointing out that plenty of local Sherpas have made many more ascents to the world's most famous mountain. I talked to him about how he discovered his passion for rock climbing while studying for a BSc in Geological Sciences at Leeds in the early 90s. And if you're wondering what it's like to reach the summit of Everest, this, taken from Kenton's Instagram, is his reaction to his most recent ascent of the giant mountain. It's a hell yeah Sunday! And was it hell yeah Sunday? Well, we just climbed goddamn Everest and we're back down on the glacier. That means we've got it done! Kenton, first and foremost, welcome to Forever Leeds. It's fantastic to have you on the podcast. Um, you know, University of Leeds, does that seem like an age ago now with everything you've done since? Uh, well, it, it does seem like an age ago because, uh, Rich, it was an age ago. I think <laughs> I graduated... 94, 95, uh, so a long time ago, but extremely fond memories of a fabulous time up there. Let's talk about the incredible stuff you've done since university. And I do want to touch on your time at Leeds Uni as well, but your 16th ascent of Everest you've just completed now. Uh, was 15 not enough, Kenton? <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to keep going? Uh, well, uh, enough is never enough, is it? Uh, so I, I better just caveat in case people don't know uh, Part of my job being a professional mountain guide, I do professionally lead people up and down Everest. So it's not as if I just go there for giggles uh, every year. Uh, it's my job. It's a fantastic mountain to work on. Uh, it's my passion. I love being with the Sherpa people. And to me, it's obvious that I keep going back year on year. Am I right in saying, uh, apart from the Sherpa people, as you've mentioned, no one has gone up Everest to the top as many times as you? Yeah, you would be right saying that, but if there are any climbers listening to this, and certainly when I was at Leeds, there was a vibrant, super energetic uh, climbing club there uh, who were doing amazing things literally all over the world. So if there are climbers listening, that they already know this, that mountains don't really, um, they're not really the place for records other than the, the first ascent of the mountain or the first ascent of the climb or the route so yeah i mean I, i've climbed it 16 times in theory that's more than any other non-sherpa but it's a beautiful mountain and that's why i go back i, I don't go back for records or numbers or or things like that uh, you mentioned leeds and you mentioned climbing in leeds sort of where you first got into it whilst you were studying geology so probably worth touching on that smaller places i'm guessing than everest in leeds where, where were the the areas the places where you first started where you found that passion for in the city Okay, well, this is going to be a real, uh, this is going to show my age now. Uh, it used to be 50p on the bus from Leeds to get out to places such as Ilkley or Otley. Uh, so they were really easy to get to. So, you know, many people have probably been there. Ilkley Quarry um, above the beautiful little town there, the Cow and Calf. We used to go there quite a lot. Uh, and we used to go to Cayley, this small bouldering area above Otley. So they were really easy to get to. Back then, we didn't really have a car. Uh, and when we did manage to steal or beg or borrow a car from somebody, we would head out to places such as Malham Cove, uh, Kilnsey, or even, even Gordale. But, but, but they were pretty big days out because of the lack of transportation. I, I guess it's fantastic to be in a spot where there was so much on the doorstep. That really is the beauty of the city, that there's so much uh, around it. When you're going out as a, as a student and you're starting to do those things, at the back of your mind, was the ambition big to get bigger and bigger the the kind of uh, mountaineering that you would be doing but was was Everest in your mind as a student or was it just something that evolved 
Yeah, it's something that evolved. Everest wasn't in my mind you know, literally until pretty much the day I climbed it. But what was beautiful about Leeds, and I've already mentioned, it was the energy of the climbing club. That there was this sort of deep desire of the people that are part of the club to get out and do stuff. And my first Himalayan trip was when I was a student. Uh, I went out with uh, Al Pao, who had just graduated from a course in physics. Um, and, and we went to Pakistan, North Pakistan. Uh, Sai Grayson was there as well. He was doing a, I think, a master's in mining or something like that. Uh, and, and we were doing these amazing things. The climbing club would go across to the European Alps pretty much every summer. And, and it was impossible not to get caught up in that enthusiasm. And to me, the, the big operators were Sir Chris Bonington or Doug Scott, and they had really made their mark in the Himalayas. So for me, being a relatively impressionable young student, I always wanted to get to the Himalayas, but Everest didn't come along until much, much later. Kenton, let's just transport ourselves here from Climbing Club at University of Leeds uh, to the top of Mount Everest. <laughs> Most people listening with the best will in the world are never going to experience that, let's be honest. So uh, take us there. Everyone will know and have an image in their mind of what that looks like. But what does it feel like when you make it to the top? Oh, God. Uh, it, it's a it's a tsunami of emotion, Rich. Uh, and I say that because it is, it is mixed emotion. There's obviously joy and elation that the upward progress is essentially over because it is hard work, even with modern technology and auction delivery systems, the, the physicality of climbing Everest is, is not easy. But then when you get to the top, you know, obviously it sounds ridiculous. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> but in my role as a mountain guide, that's when it starts to really ramp up because generally a client physically exhausted, they mentally potentially will start to crumble and the accidents generally will happen on the way down. So I've got to be absolutely on point as my role as a mountain guide because i made a promise to my client that individual and their family then we're going to bring them back through the front door and and i deliver on that promise so i've got to be super focused even though myself you know i'm physically tired i'm starving my brain of oxygen that ability for cognitive thought process is inhibited and then on the back of it I love expeditions and getting to the summit, it signifies the, the beginning of the end of the expedition. We get down off the mountain, that's it. We're going to pack up and go home. So standing on top, yeah, of course, it's amazing. The elation is beyond comprehension. But at the same time, I've got to stay focused. So the celebrations are somewhat short-lived until we get down to base camp. It's inspiring hearing about it. You're making me want to go up there. I'm just thinking if I get to the top, Kent, it might be a piggyback uh, on the way That's down. Okay. We can work with that. We can piggyback <laughs> if we okay. We've done it before. Fine. And you mentioned accidents. I mean, you you had an accident yourself in, in 1996 and were told you wouldn't walk unaided. And yet here you are fully rehabilitated and managing to do what you did. That must have been an incredibly low point for you. It was a low point. At the same time, incredible amounts of learning came out of it. That ego is a dangerous thing. Uh, I only really went climbing that day because my mates were going climbing. I've always been hyper competitive and friends of mine were climbing. I wanted to climb something harder. I made a mistake. I fell off and I smashed myself up. There's, there's always the opportunity to learn from that. I was recently asked, if you could go back in time, uh, where, where would you go? And I said, I would go back to that period of time that I was injured. 
And the reason being was, I think being as 21 or 22 at the time, I didn't make full use of that opportunity to learn about myself. That's a rich opportunity. Uh, you, you mentioned about learning and that that's what university is. In so many ways, it's not just the, the studying, but learning about yourself as a person as well. You've got geology going on. You've got the, the climbing, which you're so passionate about. What were the other things you were doing to enjoy yourself with your <laughs> friends? Where were you going? Where were you having a cheeky drink? What are the memories for you? Well, of course, I mean, I spent a lot of time in the Pack Horse, the Pack Horse pub, because that's where the climbers all met. Um, I mean, for me, university was, I became the person that I am today at university. Uh, I went there as quite a naive, shy uh, young boy, and I left, I think, on, on that journey to becoming a man. I met people that I'm still in contact with today. Of course, we had fun, arguably too much fun. The, the old bar, I think it might be less than a pound a pint back then. They used to serve Tetley. It was a travesty when they stopped serving Tetley in the old bar. Uh, and the music scene, uh, Leeds has got such a good reputation for music and so many bands. It was, it was a really vibrant, amazing time. Uh, not only did my climbing blossom, uh, my social life blossomed, my, my thirst for learning, uh, and the connections, as I mentioned, made for life. It, it was a seminal point in, 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 in my life, for sure. Kenton Cool, thank you so much for joining us on Forever Leeds, taking a trip back to your time at University of Leeds and taking us up to those high points at the top of Mount Everest as well. Congratulations on all your achievements and thanks for being a part of the podcast. No, my pleasure, Rich, anytime. Well, anyone who's been to University of Leeds might have moved up to Yorkshire and heard some words they'd never heard before. But the more we live in a globalised media culture with the same voices everywhere, the more you might fear we'll all end up sounding the same. But don't worry, a new project from Leeds is aiming to preserve the richness of English dialect for future generations, and it's asking people all over the country to help out. Our roving reporter Tom Davey spoke to the leading lights of the School of English's Big Dialect Hunt to find out more. Guy Fawkes night, what did you call it then? Oh, I, well, I used to go to Bonfire night. Oh, and what was the night before? Oh, uh, mischief night. Aye. Well, well you, you go lifting garden gates off and <laughs> putting some tripwire across somebody's door. How would you describe an overcast day? Perhaps as dull, cloudy, dark, dismal, dreary, miserable. These are just six of over 30 examples which have been recorded by the Leeds Dialect and Heritage Project, an ongoing initiative at the university which aims to highlight the cultural heritage of language. As you've just heard, the project utilises archival fieldwork conducted from as far back as the 1940s, in addition to spearheading new research. Using these rich sources, the project aims to highlight the cultural significance of our ever-changing language. You seven skin full of ciders. But what exactly is dialect and why is it important? Well, to answer these questions and more, I spoke to Dr. Rosemary Hall, research assistant for the university's dialect and heritage project. Often I think the difference between accent and dialect is something that confuses people. So um, dialect we can think of as being made up of three different ingredients. Um, so that would be pronunciation, and that's the sounds that we make when we pronounce words, um, and that itself is accent. Um, but dialect also covers uh, the words we use. So that might be whether you say wood louse or roly poly, 
Um, and also the word order or the, the grammar that we use, the way we put those words together. Thousands have already contributed their words to the project and more. One special participant is Nan Livesey, who studied at the university in 1945. She was a part of the initial survey of English dialects and recalled her time working on the project. We could choose the places we want to research and I immediately chose Bubwith, where I had been born. Practically all the inhabitants knew me or of me or had known my family. Now, I found that the women I interviewed were more patient with me, but they weren't as good dialect speakers as the men, partly because a lot of them had been out in service and had learned to speak posh. And they would be almost bilingual, because even in the middle of one of our sessions, if the lady turned from me to speak to a child or her husband, she would revert to dialect speech. But to me, she often put on the posh voice. A truly remarkable account from Nan Livesey and a living link between the original dialect project of the 1940s and the work being carried on today. So... While you have your tea or dinner or supper tonight, why not talk to those around you about the words you use and how you say them? If anything interesting comes up, visit dialectandheritage.org.uk to report your findings. If you were at Leeds in the late 90s, you may well have rubbed shoulders with someone who would become one of the most powerful female CEOs in the country. She's also a strong voice for women in business, and she's been in the news this year for calling out sexist comments from shareholders at the annual meeting of her company Aviva. We found out how Life at Leeds put her on the road to the boardroom. My name is Amanda Blong and I'm the group chief executive of Aviva, which is an insurance company uh, in the UK, which is in the FTSE 50. We have about 22,000 employees in the UK, Ireland and Canada. Uh, and I've been the CEO for the last 20 months. And I was at least between about 1996 and 1998 doing my part-time MBA, which I loved every minute of and have, and, and have really benefited from massively through, uh, through my whole career. I actually chose Leeds because I was living and working in Leeds at the time. Actually, I lived in Wakefield and I worked in Leeds. I worked for Commercial Union. I was in my first management role and I wanted to just expand my learning really and think about what management might look like from another perspective, other industries. And obviously the benefit of an MBA is that you get to meet people from all sorts of different industries. So yes, that's why I chose it. It was simply because I could go there straight from work. Uh, you used to turn up and you used to do two, three hours twice a week and it was great. The story of Aviva and I guess my time here, I've been here for for 20 months as the chief executive, but I was on the board for six months before that as a non-executive. And, you know, Aviva is a massive brand in the UK, has, you know, nearly 16 million customers. We will be the pension provider for uh, hopefully many people who, who who listen to this podcast. When I joined as the chief executive, it was in a bit of a no person's land, if you like. It was not very focused. Its debt leverage was too high. And the share price performance had been incredibly poor. And, you know, people didn't really know what Aviva stood for. And so when I came into Aviva in July 2020, which was mid-pandemic, 
of course. I was very keen that we simplified the business. And so there were three parts to, to my strategy, really. The first was to come out of those markets where we didn't believe we had the right to win. And actually, um, we sold eight, eight businesses for seven and a half billion pounds. That cash allowed us to delever uh, the business, which effectively meant that our financial strength improved, which was our second priority was to improve the financial strength. Now, the third part of the transformation of Aviva is continuing to improve the underlying performance of the core business. And, you know, Aviva is a motor insurer, it's a home insurer, it's a pension provider, um, it's a health insurer, it's a protection insurer, it does equity release, um, it does some very complex th- things called annuities and bulk purchase annuities. So we're pretty much across the waterfront of, of, of insurance products in the UK. This diversification of the business is actually fantastic because it means that in the markets that we're seeing at the moment, we're able to sort of duck and dive, if you like, and, and, and rely on different parts of the business to perform and others are not. And that's been a really fundamental part of the transformation transformation of the business. And when I when I joined, the share price was £2.73. And, you know, as I was looking at it this morning, it's about £4.15, I think. Being a woman in financial services, uh, you know, I think is definitely perceived as being quite, quite a difficult thing. There are only nine, in the FTSE 100, there are only nine female FTSE CEOs. And, you know, I think that's, that says to you that the UK and the world has got a long way to go to achieve gender parity. Focusing, you know, on financial services, it will take till 2050 to achieve gender parity in financial services um, executive committees moving at the rate that we're moving today. And I think that's just not, you know, that is really not acceptable. I've experienced some misogynistic comments at um, our annual general meeting from shareholders, you know, comments like um, women are good to see so many women on the board. That means that, you know, we'll, the housekeeping will be good um, and that I was not the man for the job. What surprised me most about those comments in that forum was it was quite a public forum. Obviously, it was recorded. It was broadcast to all of our shareholders. I was not surprised at those comments being made because, you know, I I tend to have a lot of media interviews. And, you know, if ever you make the mistake of reading below the line on any of those, you know, the comments that are made on on the articles, you only have to see just how much abuse a woman can can take, uh, you know, what you wear, the way you look not what you say or what you do, of course. And that's what I want to be judged on. You know, I would like to be judged on my performance as the CEO of Aviva, my performance as, you know, the Women in Finance champion for for the government. Those are the things that I would like to be judged on, not on, you know, whether I wear a skirt to the AGM or my gender. Living in Leeds and what, what, what stands out for me was just how much at that time the city was changing. Because at that time, there was a lot of investment coming into the city, particularly in financial services. And the city felt incredibly vibrant. I mean, it was a great fun city and the people were really fun. I think the MBA course does massively change somebody's career just, just simply because, um, you know, it does gives you a different perspective. It just opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to what was possible. It gave me a strong academic foundation upon which to build you know, um, my, my future uh, leadership career, but also just the the exposure to different people, to different industries, to different sectors, to different ways of thinking, I think really, really helped me in terms of, you know, the next roles that I had. And, um, and I look back on it incredibly fondly indeed. Finally, everyone remembers that blissful feeling of the end of the academic year and the start of summer. Picnics on the grass, warm summer evenings, and for once, no assignment crisis to worry about. It's a bittersweet feeling too, because for some of our students, it's time to say their goodbyes to Leeds. Tom Davey went across campus to capture that summer feeling. 
How does it feel to be leaving Leeds? It feels really sad. I'm going to miss all my friends, but it feels the right sort of time to move on. Terrifying, but also very exciting. It's the end of another year, and students are about to embark on new adventures. Some into their next year of study, and others to leave Leeds for the last time and join our ever-growing alumni list. In a reflective spirit, I asked students to talk about their time at Leeds and list their top three things from the past academic year. And how's the past year been your final year of studies? Well, it's been quite different because obviously we exited the pandemic, so it was quite nice to actually get to do things and get to be out and about for the first time in a while. That was really lovely. Um, and then it made all the things like way more exciting because then everything was elevated because we hadn't done it in such a long time and seeing friends meant so much more. Um, so getting to actually be out and about this year and for my final year. So what have been your top three favourite things uh, about your past year in Leeds? So in terms of this year, I'd say um, the people around me have been brilliant and then uh, being able to start a theatre company and being able to kind of start a bakery as well. I think those have been pretty cool things. So Lovely. cheers, Leeds. Number one, old bar. Number two, barbecue with my friends on my friend's birthday. Number three, oddly run with Leeds student radio. The, the quality of other students that I've been able to work with has been really high. So the other people on my course have been brilliant. Uh, I, I, think, I think our access to libraries is, you know, we do have some top-class libraries. And finally, I think being able to live and work in Leeds at the same time in, in my circle of friends has been wonderful. I think it's just the opportunities that I've had. Just, like, so many different cool things that I've done um, and so many different cool places to, like, go to and visit and just see and do. A common theme among many of those I spoke to was that it was the people of Leeds that made their time special. I've enjoyed the sense of community. Um, I've enjoyed the opportunity to get involved with a really unique archive um, that I definitely wouldn't have had access to anywhere else. Uh, oh, well. Just the friendships I've made, honestly, everybody's really lovely. So I'm going to miss everyone very much. <laughs> um, all the friends that I've made along the way. Um, the challenging dissertation. I guess mainly meeting people and everyone I've met. Um, you know, meeting all the friends here. I came, I came without knowing any people, so it was nice to meet people from different places. Oh, you know what? Great memories, um, great music, great people. And yourself? Um, I'm Eloise. Uh, I've really enjoyed joining the Christian Union. Um, it's given me a chance to meet lots of really lovely people. Um, and I've also really loved uh, Devonshire Halls uh, near Headingley. Nice. It's a really lovely area with lots of green space. And if I were to talk about my experiences of the past academic year, a highlight for me would be working on the Forever Leads podcast. From researching Antarctic explorers and the world's first fairy hoax, to interviewing current students at graduation and at the Global Cafe, the podcast has enabled me to do so many exciting things and meet so many interesting people. It really has been a pleasure. And whilst the end of term is obviously a time of reflection, it's also an opportunity to think about the future. Are you both first years like yeah. going into second year? Yeah. Oh, nice. So how's it been in particular with it being first year and all that? Uh, are there certain things that you've, say, learnt now that you're going to do differently next year? Or Yeah, I think definitely what we've been talking about, like investing in good friendships, I think is one really key thing. I guess as a final thing, uh, here you are at the end of your time at Leeds. What would you say to yourself if you were to see your, yourself at your, on your first day at Leeds, your past self? Oh, um, don't stress too much. Trust that it'll all work out.
And that's the end of Forever Leads for this academic year. We do hope you've enjoyed it and we will be back in September. Now it's all about priorities and we're offering ice cream on Woodhouse Mall. But before we go, Alba. Did you know that every year thousands of alumni donate to support Leeds students? When you donate, you really do change students' lives. You help people from less advantaged backgrounds to come to Leeds and make the most of their time here. Some of them might be the first in their family, area or school to go into higher education at all. They may have caring responsibilities, they may have been in care themselves, or they might be estranged from their families. Alumni generosity doesn't just help them afford the everyday essentials of university life through scholarships. It gives them a whole range of support through the PLUS programme at Leeds. Dedicated professionals help students settle in and find a home at Leeds, succeed academically and go on to great things when they leave. Do you want to get behind the next generation of students and help them to access all Leeds has to offer? Make a donation today by visiting give.leeds.ac.uk. That's give.leeds.ac.uk. Forever Leeds will be back in autumn. Until then, thanks for listening. And have a fantastic summer. Bye.